Hi, my name is Emily McGrath. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Resonate podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Resonate Bristol team associated with St. Stephen's and Holy Trinity Hotwells churches. Welcome. Resonate is usually a physical meeting, however current circumstances have encouraged us to also move online to digital formats. This week we look to the future and think about what church might, could and should look like post-lockdown. This episode will link to our live Zoom event on the 7th of July, where we will continue this discussion on this topic. Details can be found on our Facebook and Twitter pages. In this episode, I speak to Ian Edgerson, who attends a church in West Sussex. Together, we reflect on the impact of COVID-19 and of the Black Lives Matter protests on churches, and we share our personal thoughts about change in churches and what church could look like in the future. If you want to share your own ideas and reflections, please join us for our Resonate Live event or add your comments to our social media pages. We aim to cultivate an open-minded space at Resonate where we can explore ideas and perhaps think about things differently. In this time when we remain physically distanced, we hope these podcasts are a window into our community for you and a link to others. So who am I? So I'm Ian. I go to a church which I joined about seven years ago, which I live next door to, and it feels like a very old-fashioned church to me. Um, it's a formal, some Eucharist every Sunday at 11 o'clock sort of church. And within that, my wife and I run a service called Refresh, which some of our congregation think is wacky and strange and much too modern. And actually, Refresh isn't really modern. I'm sure many of your listeners on this podcast, if they dropped in, might think it was about 1997. Uh, it's just that my church is normally operating in about 1964, but the bit of 1964, which is still trying to resist the Beatles. So we're a bit of a, an old style church. We, we started going to that church because we moved from one side of Crawley to the other. I've been going to churches in Crawley for about 35 years and been sort of worship leader roles in those churches. I think every church I've been to, has changed while I've been there and they've changed after I've left there so um, I don't think that's about me but I like I like change I like the new thing rather than the old thing. Um, and in terms of your experience of church in in lockdown what has that been like and is there anything that you've particularly missed from how we've been living more recently? What's it been like? Um, well I think even an old-fashioned church like ours has had to get to grips with the fact that there's this thing called the internet and there's this thing called zoom and maybe we have to work out how to engage you know our congregation digitally and technologically you know i've heard it said a lot i think during the lockdown that a church isn't the building it's the people but to be fair a lot of those people are still agitating to get the churches open again so we can go back to normal you know i don't think god is normal i don't think jesus was normal i don't think church is supposed to be normal so the fact that church at the moment doesn't feel normal feels okay to me. Um, so my experience um, of church in lockdown is uh, I'm finding a very creative time um, with doing Refresh online, which is a nice challenge to have because we like to think of Refresh within our context as a new way of doing church. Now we're trying to find a new way of doing Refresh. So that feels like a, a creative sort of stimulating sort of challenge. 
and we're getting more engagement through that. Whereas some of our traditional church services can't function in the same way. There's no Eucharist, there's no endless sort of um, hymns and sort of formal liturgy. So turning what our normal church offering might be into something that works on the internet, there's been more of a cut and paste of, you know, here's a little five minute word and here's someone doing the readings. And, and so there is sort of something available online, but it's not necessarily particularly engaging. It's there if you want it to be. What we have done is try and have a coffee and chat every Sunday morning for the half hour before our service would normally start. And what's been interesting there is who's sort of zoomed into that and who hasn't. And it's not necessarily the usual suspect. So that's been quite interesting. And I think some people are connecting in that way, in a way that maybe they don't connect on a Sunday morning. And for some people, that just doesn't really work for them. And I think my other experience during lockdown is a lot of people saying that they haven't really missed church and they aren't hitting too much back, which which says something. Um, and maybe most significant within the context of my my house group, we're, we're in a house group that meets normally every other week. And every other week, quite often, it will get cancelled for some reason. And so it might be a monthly thing. And when we've done that, it's been one of those things where we might get a, a book about a film and we might watch film clips and talk about whatever the book asks in terms of questions. And I, I find those things very shallow, really, but our, our house group seems to like them. And during the lockdown, we've been Zooming every week and having much more real and intense personal and purposeful conversations. And, and that's been a real blessing, I think. So I feel like our house group has really grown perhaps into a new space. The challenge will be how do we hold on to that when we go back to normal? Yeah, I think it's an idea of um, something that we have been exploring. So we started off one of these themes through lockdown has been in this podcast and in some of our online meetings, thinking about what was church like? What is church like? And perhaps where are we going? I think maybe you raise an interesting parallel between the idea of church being people and community. And that's something maybe we have been holding on to. And then also this idea of not trying to just replicate church online. I think I haven't felt very engaged with church. I just haven't felt that I can get my teeth into things which are that replication of something online. I think music coming at me through a screen doesn't feel like it's got a lot of depth somehow. Certainly not as much depth as just putting on some headphones and going out in the park and listening to music around me or something. So I, 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 I think some of those things have felt a bit false. And I think they're, they're people experimenting and trying those things out. But um, I think it's an interesting idea you raise of that. In terms of looking forward, what are the things that you would think you would want to hold on to? Or do you see this period as just a time and then we go back to how we were? I, I don't see it as a, a time of going back to how we were. Although I think there will be some attempts to take us back to how we were or to pretend this never happened. And, and, and I don't necessarily feel that there are things now that need to be grasped and, and held on to. And, and in, in some respects, I, I probably come at this whole concept of what's the future of the church or the future phase of the church, if that's the next phase, you know, what might that mean? And, you know, and, and whether it's, are we moving from things that happen in buildings to things that happen technologically, or are we thinking about, we don't need to do so much of that, maybe we could do some more of this other thing. I, I, I increasingly think 
that's all very interesting but it's the business of church not the business of god and i i, I think probably where's where's church going and where ought church to go might be two different questions so so for me i think the key to thinking about this future phase of the church might be to look at the history of the church and the way that maybe god has brought us to where we are now um, and maybe the clues are in there as to how do we think about where do we go next so so i mean this will sound very pretentious i'm sure but i mean history is created when something new happens or a new way of thinking emerges uh, and then history sort of comes into our rearview mirror as we move out of the present into the future and we move forwards. And I believe God is always doing something new because I think God's a creator. I mean, first and foremost, God is a creator God. I don't think God is stuck. I don't think he's a prisoner of history. I think he genuinely is the future. Um, and I think he's creating history as he moves time forward. And, and I think he's always involved and invested in the next phase which you know might be the future phase and whether that's the what do we do in three months time or six months time or what's going to be like in five years time or a hundred years time in in some respects might be about to what extent can we influence some of those things and to what extent do we need to think or care about some of those things i, I do know that whenever god was doing a new thing in the bible not everyone got it straight away and some people didn't get it at all and there was often conflict and i suspect as we find that we're thinking about doing new things now or not necessarily going back to some of the old things, not everyone's going to get that. Not everyone's going to be comfortable with that. Um, and there's going to be some conflict and not necessarily are we going to get some of those things right. But I think if the Bible tells us anything, it's about what does, what does, what does God say more than anything or what does Jesus say more than anything? He probably says, you know, it's about change, keep changing. I'm, I'm here to bring about change. You need to keep changing to become more like me. Energising, I think. Yeah, I think when we started this series, we were very much responding to the idea of, you know, this pause in church and, and what that meant. But I think when I sat down to think about this in particular, and this is a development of some feelings that came out of that initial thought, but actually the world has changed again in a different direction. And, you know, talking about history, but actually we're grappling with issues around race and racism and diversity which obviously were there before but again have now risen up in in people's mind and I think the idea you raise of church is the institution and, and this thing is is interesting and when I was when I was thinking about this before we were speaking um, I was thinking about something which uh, there was a vicar who used to come and do assemblies when I was at school he uh, came in gave us, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's this sort of like print of Jesus as, as Che Guevara, the kind of radical. It says at the bottom, meek, mild, as if. And and that kind of, that message has got me thinking. I, I think that there seems to be this fine line in churches between the compassion of including people and the cutting edge of what that that image is, that meek, mild, as if. And I think that that's my question for you is how, do, how, how does that balance? Because that message of, oh, we should wait, oh, we should stay the same, we must value our history, we must value our traditions, is a message that I've heard in different formats throughout my entire life in the church. Um, mm. And church, in many ways, to me, feels small. The ideas feel small, the ideas feel outdated. And how do we... How do we engage with that idea of change and 
of a god of change if everyone in church is stuck in the same holding patterns that we were in before i, I mean I, I think that's that's the key to some of this um if, if i was to answer that in a sort of round the houses way and so this is just the way that my, my brain sort of works in this space maybe um, and i do want to come on to maybe cultural relevance and what's actually happening and how do we engage with that rather than do our church bubble thing um, but, but I would take some, I, I don't know whether comfort is the right word, um, but some uh, courage maybe from the fact that church has always been changing. I think, um, you know, we know, don't we, that church has been on the wrong side of history sometimes. Um, too blind to see, slow to change its way of thinking. Not everyone gets it at the same time. Some people never get it at all. You know, we're plotting our way through the coronavirus. I know people are starting to sort of talk about is the government making the right decisions? Did it get things right at the start? Should it have done things differently? You know, I think an interesting question, maybe at the end of the, the lockdown period would be, did the church have a good COVID crisis? How did we do? Was that good enough? Um, but I think we, we're, we're still trying to work out at the moment, how do, we, how do we adapt? But we're not really thinking about what are we adapting for? And, and how is that furthering the business of God, rather than maybe just maintaining the business of of church but when I say I sort of take sort of comfort I would think if you were a vicar from 500 years ago and you came back to one of our church services now you would be horrified some of the things we do and say in the context of our usual services would sound blasphemous and shocking even if you came back from being a vicar 100 years ago and dropped into your church equivalent now you would still find it very difficult to recognize maybe what is this place? What do they do here now? Um, so I think the church has always been changing. It's just for people like me, it doesn't change fast enough or often enough, and it feels very frustrating while we're in the process. But I do feel like, you know, I, I struggle with organ music, for example, in our church. I don't think anyone under the age of 70 goes home and listens to organ music. You know, they would resist me bringing a guitar out and singing a guitar song. Um, and yet I don't think anyone under the age of 30 routinely goes home and listens exclusively to a diet of guitar music. I sometimes feel like, you know, within the context of church, we're, you know, we're communicating in Latin and everyone else out in the world is talking in English or something. I just feel like there's a cultural hardwiring in our churches that feels disconnected. But I do look back and realise that churches have always been changing. They're just changing to different degrees at different times and maybe sort of catching up. But what, what I am sort of always shocked about is, is how disconnected the business of church can be from the business of real life. So if I give you an example, I think if you'd sat in my church for the last four years, just listening to what we talk about from the front of the church, you would have had no idea that something called Brexit was ripping the country apart. And if my church was operating as normal now, and I suspect this is true for other churches, we would be reflecting within our services about things that happened 2000 years ago. We wouldn't be considering how might Christianity apply within the modern context of something like Black Lives Matter um, or, you know, all, all the stuff that's flying around in the, in the country or in the air or in the world at the moment. So, so I do feel that there's something, it's not a problem with God, it's a problem with church, which is this bubble thing, that we're more interested in the business of church than we are in the stuff of the world. And and I think if this lockdown is teaching us anything, it's, it's giving us a time to think 
Um, but when we look back and think, how do we use that crisis? I'm not sure that we're really thinking about the things that we should be thinking about. We're still thinking about how do we do the delivery mechanism rather than what's our purpose? What's our purpose in this world, you know, as, as Christians? Um, and I don't think it's about, you know, the templates that we put together for our services, maybe. So I was struck that it, um, through this podcast series and through other conversations that have been had within our community, a lot of people talked about really valuing the pace of life that we have had and perhaps everyone was so busy that actually just having a lockdown for a few months was a, a kind of refreshing period and a lot of people talked about simplicity that church should be a lot less busy um, and again something I was reflecting on is that just feels at odds with when I've I've seen the protests and the movements that are going on at the moment I sort of think that that's what church should be out there on the cutting edge in the thrust of it with the people um and I the statue that was pulled down in Bristol I, I can find no other way of describing them that than being holy that that is a kind of absolutely the right thing to have happened and could not have happened in any other way and church kind of that tension that we're talking about just how do we um how do we get church into that place and I think what I feel like I'm often told is that we need to be compassionate to the people that aren't there we need to make sure that we're kind of allowing everyone to catch up and I I don't know if I can stand that but actually also I don't know if um that just seems at odds with the you know the Che Guevara Jesus I I can't I I think Jesus was incredibly compassionate and yet at the same time incredibly cutting sometimes to these kind of out outdated methods. I, yeah, I don't know what you what you think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm probably right in that space with you. Um, so, you know, and, and this I think is, is, is really the point, isn't it? What is the point? <laughs> um, so, so the key question for me, it's not really about how will our services change or you know, that, that all those intellectual and emotional debates about is it bums on seats in church buildings versus views and likes on YouTube? You know, I don't think they take us much further in terms of what's the business of God. I don't think Jesus was really wondering about, you know, popularity contests. Have I got more people on the hill than I had last week? Uh, I, I think it was probably much more about am, am I connecting with people in the place where they are? and you know turning their attention towards god but also at the same time trying to help people tune into what's god actually trying to say or trying to do um so, so i do think that there's a much more important question for christians but probably for everyone but especially for christians which is what's god doing in the world how is society changing where is the church meant to be connecting and engaging you know we'll, we'll find that there's a whole range of views within the congregation about you know political spectrums and and views so when you get something like uh, there's a lockdown but there's people on the streets and there's a conflict and then you've got people on the streets in Bristol and then there's statues coming down and then you know and those things they ask some really complicated questions and, and, and I don't think it's good enough for the church to sort of do the thing that sounds like we're judgmental so we all need to think the same and I don't think it's good enough for the church to do the thing that says we haven't got a view so, so I think that the church sometimes is dancing on the head of a pin, but I do think, you know, as Christians, we have to be in those spaces and in those congregations and trying to work out how, how do I how do I help? We, we, we struggle here. I, mean, I, I don't really have any answers, but, um, but I do think, you know, I, I believe in the Christianity that sets people free. And, you know, in the context of church, I instinctively wrestle with a church which seeks to 
lock people in and get them to conform to some sort of template. And, and, and too often, in my experience, you're talking about maybe reaching out to people. Too often, I think, when the church talks about reaching out to people, it's with an agenda, which is to persuade people outside the church to come inside the church and to become people like us and to think what we think and behave like we behave. And, and we somehow imagine that, you know, if young people started coming to our services, they'd embrace our traditions and have a great time. And it's delusional. And actually what people are passionate about might be justice um, and what they might be passionate about might be truth. And what they might be passionate about might be how are you helping, you know, um, so so I, I've, I very much feel like maybe the next phase of church for me, and I hope for many people, might be about it's an external thing rather than an internal thing. It might be about being political. It might be about being active. It might be about making a contribution in the things that are the great debates of our time. And I don't think that's about, you know, taking a position on Facebook and just defending it to the hilt. Um, or getting into skirmishes with people that aren't very constructive, although I'm, I've been there, I know, at times. But, but it, it feels to me like the, the country and the world are in the middle of something that's fundamentally important at the moment and asking really huge questions and really powerful questions. And if we take this time to think our way through that, we might really get to somewhere worth thinking about. But I don't know whether we're capable of doing the thinking and putting the hard yards in or, or, and whether really we want to do that or we feel that we even ought to be in those spaces. So I think that, that, that although I've said, you know, the history of the church is always changing, I think the muscle memory of the church or the reflex of the church is when something's happening that we don't quite understand, is to come back into our bubbles and hope someone tells us at some point what it is that we're supposed to do or pray about. We might pray about it, but I don't know that we do much to influence anything. And so when I think we look back and we might think about how did the church do in the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it'll be messy, won't it? We, we, we know the church has been on the wrong side of history so many times in the past. Um, you know, we're wrong about science. Turns out the world isn't flat. Who knew? You know, wrong about evolution, probably. Don't mention the dinosaurs. You know, um, the church has been wrong about slavery, apartheid, subjugation of women. There's a long list. We're wrestling with human sexuality and climate change. Is the church getting it wrong again? I wouldn't bet against that. But I don't hear any of those things being debated or wrestled with within the context of what we do when we think what we're doing is church. They all seem to be things that happen outside of our church bubble and they don't really bleed into what we do when we rock up our building at 11 o'clock or put our product out online on YouTube. And that just feels to me like that's the fundamental disconnect between the stuff of God, which I think is in all those things, and the stuff of church, which seems to be about something else. And, and, and I, I don't know how to bridge that gap. But, um, but increasingly, as I get older, I feel like I should be walking over those bridges somehow. Um, and maybe, maybe it's one of those, here I am, send me, I need to get involved in stuff. But I don't know how to do that. But I think, I think a lot more of us should be in some of those uncomfortable spaces because I think that's where Jesus would be I think he would be in some of those spaces that we don't like to go into mm. I don't know if I answered your question I just rambled around a bit I think there are maybe individual churches who sometimes are engaging with that I think there are individuals within churches who are engaging um, with some of those ideas but I think that idea of like for the most part what are we talking about on a Sunday morning it doesn't feel like we're getting to the heart 
of a lot of those issues and and therefore that that also raises the idea of you know why is sunday morning so important and that's the sort of like flagship of our of our week um and a lot of the other things are as you say those kind of add-ons whether that's refresh for you whether that's resonate for us those things are I I don't know whether people see them in parity some people maybe do with with what's the sort of the main event and therefore yeah how do we how do we engage with those ideas and and to be really at the forefront they've got to be ideas we haven't quite had yet they've got to be these sorts of really engaging with our problems and picking them apart and saying you know what what is our biggest weaknesses and how do we address those um but I don't know that that does seem to be quite at odds with the ultimately the sort of safe the safe space wanting to disagree well with everyone and and I'm not at all suggesting those are bad concepts but yeah I, I don't know either I don't know how we how we how we actually get anywhere how we how we move forwards from from where we're at maybe it's maybe it is about just trying to embrace the whole range of what we're doing and move away from saying what happens on a sunday morning is our is our flagship event actually that the toddler group on a wednesday morning as is as important as anything else and that's we're going to give that equal prominence maybe we are doing some of the things but we're not it's about how we value them, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think I think that's part of it, isn't it? That you know, within every church, there'll be people who are doing some really important and valuable things, often quite quietly, um, and maybe we don't honour those, you know, in our Sunday services. We don't even maybe notice them, or, or we don't know how to celebrate them or to encourage them. But there's also something about, you know, I, I, I've heard your um, resonate podcast and. And it feels to me like you're doing something, you know, something that we strive to do in Refresh as well, which is we want to be able to say, we don't want to tell you what to think. Uh, and we, we're not sort of bold enough to, or, or clever enough to say, and this is how to think. Um, we'd like to give you some things to think about and, and give you permission to say, it's okay to think differently, if you like. What, what I sometimes worry about is um, this thing, and I think you were getting into it a little bit, which is how do we, maybe as a church, you know, whether that's a, a, a local church or a big body of church, the whole Christian family of God, if you like, come together and, and sort of wear, wear our scars visibly and say, we don't know what we're doing in these spaces. We're quite capable of making things much worse rather than better if we don't um, know how to organise or how to connect or how to engage or what would be the appropriate way to behave even. Um, but how do we be bold enough to say, but we care and we want to be part of this solution rather than as we so often seem to be, I think, is an irrelevance or perhaps even part of the problem. And, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know where I'm, I'm even going with that, but it just feels to me as always that, you know, um, if, if Jesus was to rock up, you know, he probably wouldn't be popping along to our church on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock because he'd probably have better things to do. And I wonder sometimes whether we've just got better things to do, but we don't really know how to do them or whether to do them. Or we think that the stuff of church is where we go to get equipped to do all that stuff, but then it doesn't really equip us. Um, and, you know, and maybe that's just my frustration. And maybe the answer as always is I should to go off and do something. And, and maybe it's my problem, not the church's problem. I don't know. But, but it, it does feel to me like 
we don't we don't mobilize and we don't help in some of the most important things but we probably make lots of little contributions that add up to a big thing somewhere and we don't always appreciate that I think it's an interesting idea though you know maybe maybe I should go off and do something else but actually that's really a valid point I think my sister said to me recently you know something like it's, it's it feels easy to leave actually and it just feels like it's hard to stay and hard to keep kind of engaged and and I think and and I've got a lot of time for this and this is stuff that I've done before but often it just feels like we're tinkering with the structure um, whether that's of having meetings whether that's of how how our service looks but it feels like we're sort of being oh we're having um experimental church this week we're going to actually have um three hymns together and then one later on and um i'm being flippant and i'm not at all um dismissing the idea of experimenting with liturgy and actually those things are good and but sort of fundamentally feel like i'm a bit beyond that now like fundamentally i don't really want to just try out a different style of hymn i want to really shift the the language we use really shift the metaphors we use really shift what we're thinking about and engage with the fact that church is still quite a patriarchal space in lots of its language that church is still very a very white space in lots of churches a very white maybe very white middle class space particularly within the Church of England context that you and I are in at the moment. And that, that, that otherwise you just kind of keep going along and keep going along and keep kind of just tinkering. I guess the rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic is where you ultimately end up because what, what will be the future of the Church of England if not for some you know, fundamental engagement with people outside of that bubble yeah yeah and um and, and none of this is easy um i mean i i i do recognize you know some of the most influential people in my life some of the people who make me think hardest and have changed you know my my approach to some things and my attitude on other things and really helped me you know through other ways maybe not to care about some of the things i cared about because actually maybe they're not that important and to maybe care more about some of the things i didn't care about because maybe they are important will we'll be vicar figures you know I, I think there's some fantastic people uh, involved in the church leading some of our churches um it never feels to me like they're a particularly uh, well managed resource um you know in fact i think the support structures around them are often quite woeful and uh, you know I wouldn't you know, recommend anyone become a vicar really unless they're really called into that space because it just feels like that's a really hard place to be. Um, but they have the ability to be very influential and some of them really are. But, but we, we, we put all these shackles around them and then I, I, I think quite often, you know, I, I was having a conversation with a vicar a few years ago and I, I said a version, he, he was saying a version of, yeah, I wish we could change that. And I said, but you're the vicar, you know. If, you, if, if anyone can change it, it's you. And if you don't feel you can change it, how's anything ever going to change? And, and, and it's that sort of old idea, isn't it? That when you're a kid, you think all the adults know everything. And then you come to be an adult and you think, you know, maybe, maybe um, I don't know so much, but maybe my boss knows something or maybe my boss's boss knows something. And maybe through your career, you get promoted and you get to a point where you realise no one really knows what they're doing. Um, some people sound more confident than, than others and some people maybe are a bit more competent than others. But generally... You know, society is trying to work these things out as we go, and the church is trying to work things out as we go. I mean, I, I still listen to the Resound podcast, which is the people who do the yeah. 12 song challenge stuff. 
Um, and, and it's interesting how, you know, that's quite a simple model when it comes around once a month. But every now and then it allows them to leap off somewhere and actually just have a, here's a mini podcast about this other thing that we were thinking about. And, and they, they just did a, a version of, um, you know, what's it, you know, if, 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 if you're a worship leader in a church and, um, you know, there's 20 people in church or 100 people in church or whatever it is, that's just what it is. And you don't particularly focus on that. But, but if you put something out online, you know, is, is it natural to check every five minutes to see how many views you've had? And, and actually, you know, and, and if someone, if, if a neighbouring church or a different songwriter is getting a lot more hits than you are, what does that say? What does it do about your self-esteem? You know, we, we all feel vulnerable in that space somehow. That, you know, and there's a thing about being artistic, you know, uh, and I'm sure you identify with this, you know, um, you know, you, 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 you invest time in your poetry and you put it out there and you don't want to necessarily be the person who's always saying, you must read my poems, you must read my poems, because the person you are is going to be good at publishing your own stuff. And at the same time, you're thinking, this is quite good. Has no one noticed it? You know, so all, all, that, all that ego stuff that's complicated enough as it is um, gets really exacerbated in the technical world, I yeah. think. Because if, if you read a poem in church, you don't really expect it to go much further than the people who might be listening. And maybe someone will say afterwards, can I have a copy? But when you put something out into you know, cyberspace, part of you thinks, is that going to go viral? <laughs> Has anyone even noticed? You know, yeah, those pressures. Uh, and actually, like we we struggled through the winter. Uh, you know, various people had left. It was quite a. I don't know, it's just a lot happening this winter, and we were kind of like, we don't care about who comes. It's just about the content. Um, and you know, you're having these discussions about numbers, and you're like, but it's just our community. We're still enjoying it. It doesn't matter how many people come. Um, and then uh, you start saying, well, actually, more people have engaged with us online than engage with us normally on a weekly basis. We put quite a lot of effort into going and cooking people's soup and clearing up afterwards and rearranging the tables and actually instead of 15 people 60 people have listened to our podcast which yeah. in some in some ways was less effort um and in fact the weirdest thing i think about our podcast is that it's a lot of effort in terms of edit and bringing it together you know you do it maybe a couple of days you get all these interviews and then more so than anything else it's something that people listen to once um you know maybe twice if they really liked it or maybe yeah. they come back to it in a year's time but it's actually compared to most creative things it's probably the thing that is most disposable it's longest and then people just sort of listen to it and move on um which is a, just an interesting idea as well because and there's almost no feedback as well i mean maybe there's a couple of comments on our facebook page or somebody says oh i liked that but you don't get anything like the feedback you get almost with anything else that you create which has the sort of a conversation that's had uh, yeah. so it's a it's a sort of a funny a funny process as well i think it's always quite good to yeah that that ego and the creation you need the ego because otherwise you'd never create anything but it's also it's quite um yeah, you sometimes you need it to be kind of kept in check almost by not having anyone say anything. And then you want it. It's just like a vicious circle. Really. Yeah, but. yeah. It's, it's, it's the face that eats itself or something, isn't it? Like whatever that metaphor was. Um, I, I, you know, I, I do hope somehow that, um, you know, um, I'm sure I said this to you before, that, you know, if, if what we know about God is he's a creative God and once upon a time, all the great artists of their day, whether they were the sculptors or the painters or the musicians or the poets, you know, um, they would have been bringing their art in celebration of God into the religious environment, you know, whether it's like building great cathedrals or stained glass windows or here's all these hymns or here's these works of art. Um, and, and what I don't see so much now is, you know, the, the, the great artists making great art for God. 
or even the artists who are making art for God, making great art for God. Um, but also the church doesn't really have the confidence in creativity, so it doesn't really engage with its poets or its songwriters um, or its painters or its dancers or whatever that form of expression might be. We're just very nervous in the church about creativity. Um, and, yeah. and we, we don't really like, I don't think, the idea that maybe there's a new way of interpreting something. I don't know what it is. Our space is a very creative space, our church, although I think there is still some sense to which that doesn't always permeate. But we have this huge artistic piece of work at the back of our church that was created. It was created because our church has got this connection to slavery, which is that it used to bless ships leaving port, including all the slave ships. And so oh, wow. around around the abolition of the slave trade, cause it used to be right on the quay and then the waters have been diverted. So it's not it's now in the town centre. Yeah. Um, and around the abolition of the slave trade, this piece of work was commissioned. And so this is huge. It's just like at the back of the church. And so there is this permanent creative reminder and there are quite a lot of creative people in the church so I, this is the first time that i've ever been in a space that does have some outlets for creativity and i think inevitably sometimes that's more than others because you know creativity takes time and and if you're going to involve that in the service that takes more thought so sometimes services are more creative than others but it is quite a nice community to be part of on that basis that there is as you say that there is some engagement with that but I think in a general sense, that's an interesting question and whether, whether again, talking about a value, whether art becomes as, as valued as the sermon or whatever it is, whether, whether it can, or, or if it's ultimately just seen as just a nice thing that we've had. Someone's read their poem today. Wasn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we loved your poem. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that there might be something about, um, again, artists tend to, go where the artists are in the same way the young people tend to go where the young people are so there'll always be a church you know in the vicinity which is where if the young people are going anywhere they're probably at that church and if the you know if the musicians are gathering somewhere you know so suddenly a church in Brighton takes off you know and suddenly it's like oh here's Mind Smith and Matt Redman and whoever Stuart Allen they're all coming out of the same church because there's something about we, we gather with like-minded people mm. so you know find your way into an artistic church good for you um and and you know those things are rare because and actually what happens is they probably suck all the artistry out of the other churches because actually people are going to feel more at home in a place where they're encouraged and, and artists are sometimes the most fragile people in our communities and they might have the most important things to say but they're not really valued or you know you know it's quite difficult being someone who's always wants to be on the outside of things which is the artist's position isn't it um, and he's a bit wary about getting sucked into the middle of the stuff. Um, and yet, at some point, you're just like, you're, you're coming in with a bit of art and going out again, and, and no one quite gets that. The artistic temperament's quite a fragile thing for a church to have to manage. But, um, yeah. but I think it's quite exhausting as well, I think, being on the edge of something, whether that's as an artist or someone who's kind of seeing other possibilities. I think it's quite exhausting over a long period of time to be the person always saying, oh, that's interesting, but... you could do it in a different way or have you thought of this or is there a reason we haven't tried that I think uh, particularly if you're a, a, a lone voice I think over time it's quite isolating um, yeah. and I think you and I probably have seen that it often leads to people leaving churches and you know moving somewhere else or you know trying something else but it's hard 
it's hard to sustain unless I think there's a real engagement with that from somewhere in the church, whether that's the leadership or something else. But um, yeah. so equally, as you say, I think it's exhausting for the church leadership, you know, that person to always have someone saying, well, you've done it like that, but you could have done this, you know, every week. That's probably just as exhausting. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real relationship of trust if you get to a point where you can say, I'm allowed to ask the questions and you don't have to answer them all, but I keep asking the questions, you know. Um, yeah. those, those are really valuable you can get there. I, I, my, one of my, um, I don't know, pet amusements at the moment is once upon a time, not too long ago, people started doing that thing where let's put a video together where we've got every musician doing from home and they're putting a song together and they've got all the different faces on the screen, you know. Um, and, and at some point, that was an original idea. Um, and, you know, and, and then a few people thought, oh, we could do that. In fact, I, I did one, a refresh two or three months ago maybe but, but but now it's like every church feels like oh, if we haven't done one of those we ought to do one you know and, and suddenly art becomes competitive and it's like actually i think it was just like that was a original idea but it's not a law you don't have to have one of those videos out but you know there's always like the, the lockdown pressure is everyone's doing one of those we better do one of those it's like it's okay you don't have to do one you know and, and actually a bad one isn't as isn't as good as not doing one <laughs> yeah uh, yeah. but, but we're, we're followers you know we like to follow the trend you know that's true that's true we might might be 30 years behind it sometimes but we are following something but actually what people like us probably like is we like something that's fresh but we also like something that's got depth um and we also like something that feels like maybe not everyone's doing this at the same time because we're slightly other and we don't really want to be like everybody else you know um and um there's that you know, and I think if you're musical, you can get bored of something much quicker than someone who's all just taken two months to get the hang of it. And just when we get the hang of it, you're doing something else new. And I get all that frustration. Um, but then, um, you know, I, church music just feels like we've got this template, even within resound. You know, if I was to say, what's the resound sound? What's so different about the resound sound? I don't, I don't hear it. I don't hear anything they're doing that doesn't feel like you're conforming to the same template. And I know there's certain limitations. People have only got a singing range of between there and there. You have to work within that structure. But if you try and do something that feels a bit too wordy or mm. a bit too melodic, it's like, well, that's not really how congregational worship works. It's like, really? <laughs> and and I think l lyrically as well, probably lots of... Uh some of the most sort of stereotyped images or violent images those things that, that that language we have in our church comes from our hymns and mm. you know or just things that you think when you just look at the lyrics you think does that make any sense does that say anything or um well or, or are we comfortable singing that do we all think this are we all on that page um and yet music and the lyrics just is probably not commented on, on that much, but actually so prevalent in certain, well, in lots of churches and what's being chosen and who chooses them and all those sorts of things. I, th I think there's a really interesting debate to be had on if, if songs and hymns were statues, which ones should we be tearing down now? You know, because um, we, we all say, won't it? If it's lasted 100 years or 200 years, it's probably a great song. Um, and, and, and it probably is, but what's the shelf life of a statue? You know, is it forever, or is it for a time? You know, and you know your your Colston statue is a good example, really. Um, there would have been a time and a place for that statue when it would have been 
a, a significant thing and an appropriate thing to do. But that time is not now, clearly. But when, 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 when do we say, actually, statues only have such a certain point of time and then maybe there's no validity or we need to put a different statue in its place? You know, because you, you can't, it's a bit like paintings on the wall. There's a point when you run out of wall space. Maybe you need to take some of the old paintings down and put a new one on. So, so if, if songs and hymns were statues, some of them now, maybe we should be thinking, what do we sing? Some of that stuff, because as you say, it's all about victory. It's very triumphalist, isn't it? You know, how, how does that help? And, and the language as well is very masculine um, in its imagery of God, but in other ways as well. Um, and some of those things have been updated. You know, people went through various hymn books and changed everything to people instead of mankind and stuff like that. But actually, the the pervasive language, the gender normative he, um, really is in those hymns. Um, and the more yeah. that you see that, the harder it is to unsee it. And therefore, that that language, masculine language, is just inescapable, particularly in that in in hymns, I think. And not yeah. necessarily even old hymns, new new hymns just as much. And 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 the fact that some of us can see it, and yet we're still singing those songs, means that we're still indoctrinating people in some subtle or not so subtle way that is going to cause some problems later on. It's a bit like, you know, you can teach the same Sunday school lessons forever and ever and ever, and you can indoctrinate five-year-olds in the same way forever and ever and ever. And at some point they get to be 15 and they go, what? You know, and, and, and all you're doing is creating the same problem again and again and again. So the fact that, you know, if, if some of that language isn't appropriate for some of us, then maybe it's not appropriate for any of us. You know, um, and, you know, we, we could look much harder at those things. You know, um, if we're looking at statues, statues and monuments and buildings, some of our churches are going to come under scrutiny at some point. Like, whose money paid for that and how did you get it? You know, is that spoils of war money or is that off the back of the slave trade? Or is that, I don't know, Mr. Colston putting all his money into have a church on me while you're about it? You know, mm. I, you know. It, it's trying to unscramble that stuff is very tricky and very messy um, but at some point we're gonna have to go into some of those hard conversations and say how do we how do we make reparation for this stuff yes. do you know what I, I, I was wondering about um, while you were saying this earlier if you know if, if we look at something like the police and is it institutionally racist if we looked at the church and said is it institutionally something ist I wonder what that something is would be. Are we institutionally judgmentalist? Probably. You know, are we institutionally classist? Probably. You know, we, 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 you know, we are an institution, so we're going to be institutionally some things. Um, but how do we break out of those areas? We have to have a good, hard conversation with ourselves, and I'm not sure we're capable of having it, really. So, so something has to change around us to change us, otherwise we won't change. And, and something's to do with the language of the Bible and the way that we are taught it, I suspect. Mm. That, that sense of we, we're okay and you're not okay, that's a dangerously insidious sort of uh, thing to have in your DNA, isn't it? We're sorted, you're not. Yeah, I guess it's an interesting idea actually about whether instead of saying you know whether you use this moment to say what what will we keep from our new service that we've done online or actually whether you say this is a like a fundamental world event that has happened not only in the case of the pandemic but also in the case of these protests maybe just 
you know going back to purpose what do we do now do we just use this opportunity to to act and to say that they to recognize these fundamental issues engage with them and try and do something um yeah perhaps that's that's the answer but how i guess well, well it, it, it's it's another question i think what, what, one of the things I, I know that you know back to all the sort of protest movements at the moment which i think are a powerful thing and um and you know and, and i really hope this is a a, a tipping point um but, but ta-nehisi coach said this in his we're eight years in power you know I've, I've heard lots of people say you know we think this is a tipping point we think we it, things won't be the same now we think it's going to be different and ta-nehisi coach said Do you know what when barack obama became president and it's called we're eight years in power and he's contrasting Every year of Obama's presidency, he wrote an article commenting on black affairs. He, he was a correspondent for, I think, the New York Post or the Washington Post or something. And they brought him in to write about black affairs, coincidentally at the time when Obama became the president. So every eight years, he wrote an essay on the state of America, but also the state of Obama's presidency and the state of being a black guy in, in a world where black issues were coming to the fore, um, but were complicated. Um, and and it's, it's absolutely fascinating read. But he said, if you see Obama as the first black president, you have to see Trump as the first white president. Because all the presidents before Obama, it never occurred to anyone that a president wouldn't be white and they wouldn't be male. And suddenly we came into that election thinking, oh, maybe it could be Obama, or maybe it could be Hillary Clinton. Oh, it's not going to be Hillary Clinton, it's going to be Obama. Um, but, but we had, for eight years, we had a black president, you know, and, and the central premise was people have always said, well, you can't have a black president because their fear is that a black president would, you know, make a mess of everything. But actually, the fear is that a black president might be very successful and then you'd have to recognise that blacks are legitimately able to operate in, you know, the, the biggest jobs in the country. So, that, so in some respects, there's a racist fear that we, we wrap up as something else. But, but he was saying that, you know, at the end of Obama's term, which, you know, was flawed in many ways, um, but suddenly did give black people a role model and a recognition that maybe we can get to those places. Yes, Obama maybe has to be twice as good to get to a point where he's equal to someone else. But he was the first black president. And then what happens next is the country says, we've done the black president thing, we want a white president. And, and actually what Trump is, with all his flaws, no one elected Trump thinking he's a nice guy. No one elected Trump thinking, you know, he's going to be a decent human being who's going to further the causes of humanity. They elected Trump because he wasn't Obama. And, and, and quite a big core of you know, Trump's support is he's a white guy. You know, let's get a white guy back in the presidential place. Uh, and, and so when I say, you know, at the moment, I think all this stuff is really powerful. We will lurch back somewhere and we'll lurch back to somewhere that was worse than the place we were in maybe three months ago. And it's a bit like the way the stock market goes. It doesn't go up in a straight line. It's going to go spiky for a while. I think that um, Katie Hopkins, funny enough, asked a question which Ta-Nehisi Coates deals with in his book a little bit. And it's an uncomfortable one, which is if black lives matter, why do they matter more when a white guy kills a black guy than when a black guy kills a black guy? Because we all know that part of the black community is... is Black, young black guys shooting other black guys and black lives matter in both those contexts but this is not really about how people deal with their peers this is about the fact that the system is loaded 
against you know blacks and ethnic minorities and in some respects if 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 they end up killing each other or white people end up killing each other that's a side issue that's not the equivalent you, you can't say black lives only matter in this context and don't matter in that context because this isn't about black lives matter full stop this is about black lives matter and when institutionally you segregate us and then you treat us differently that is just morally wrong and it's unacceptable but but what happens is we confuse all these things and then we do well all lives matter da, 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 and, and we just muddy all the waters and we turn it into a great big soup um and hope that at some point no one notices that there was really a problem to start with because we've clouded it all again and you've got to keep pulling it away and say actually there is something really fundamentally wrong here isn't there mm. can we keep the main thing the main thing yeah, there's a book um, which I got halfway through and then I got to irate, so I have paused reading of it called Invisible Woman, which is called by um, Car- Caroline uh, Criado Perez, um, and it just talks about just how 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 the gender norm in our society is male so if you if you for example hear a historian talking about the past people who lived in the past they're not talking about people they're talking about men um you know any in any context if you ask someone about something where gender is unknown the assumption was often that that it it is a man or that that is in fact what's being talked about but more than that she starts to talk about how our society is structured around male ways of thinking and how that doesn't actually help anyone Um, and so she talks about how in um, Scandinavia they did this testing about whether you should first clear the roads or first clear the pavements in in the snow Um, and the conventional wisdom is always clear the roads get everyone into work because the the, there are there are still due to the way that um, women and men kind of look after people and things like that although not true of everyone there are still male patterns of travel which is from the home into the city and female patterns of travel which is get on a bus go to take the children here take the somebody else there take mum shopping come back go to work which um apart from anything else cross-sex that so it's much harder journeys because um, they don't necessarily have a car public transport doesn't go in that way but they basically they did the study and they found that if they cleared the pavements first they could actually save themselves significant amount of money as a, as a society because the injuries that happen in a car in the snow are actually generally less because people are traveling slower people in scandinavia have winter tires but the, the problems that could happen if the pavements were clear were hip fractures were severe arm breaks and they found that if they actually did it the other way around not only were they improving the lives of women but they were saving the healthcare system money um but it wasn't something that had occurred to anyone anyone because they had originally yeah. just thought oh this is how men travel into work um, yeah. and i mean she obviously goes into a lot of other things but it's just an interesting idea about it I guess it's if you have what a limited way of thinking and that can be on issues of gender or race or anything else, but it can actually be in any situation, kind of any way where you've just got everyone thinking the same way, you miss out on a, a different part of the picture and that can essentially harm you because you're not considering enough diversity of ideas. But. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we all look through whatever our given lens is. Um, and this is back to ideas, isn't it? If you have people putting different ideas into your head or saying maybe there's no way of looking at this or have you thought about this thing, the, the, the more voices you expose yourself to, the more chance you've got of coming to a balanced view. Um, but you have to be open-minded and sometimes you have to do the legwork. And, and it's a human trait that we surround ourselves with people who think like we think and, and share the values that we share, which is why the country suddenly got so shocked about Brexit because it's like, doesn't everyone think what I think? I thought everyone thought what I thought. 
you know, but actually they're just the people that I tend to talk to. So it, it all sounds, you know, like it's all okay. And then suddenly it's not okay. And no one knows how that could possibly happen. And it's the same with, if, 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 if you're, you know, from a black ethnic minority background, you'll know that the world doesn't work in the way that, that, that some of us are growing up thinking it works. You just, you'll just know that. Um, but we haven't really engaged with that or, or had the opportunity to think about it um, or particularly been interested in it. Um, so, so, so this whole melting pot of merge of ideas and things um, or experiences, you know, whether it's the internet breaking the world down, um, you know, whether it's women suddenly having their voices heard. There's, there's a film out at the moment, probably completely the wrong time because there's no one in cinemas seeing anything, but it's called something like Women in Film or Women in Charge or something which is looking at the whole history of women as directors directing movies and showing how they did all the things in the sort of time that maybe Hitchcock did or Kubrick did. Um, and you can look back and you can see all this stuff and all the evidence is there, but no one noticed because actually we were celebrating Kubrick and Hitchcock and whatever. And it's like, you know, it's, it's about the male gaze in, in a different way, isn't it? That's the bit about the Bible, isn't it? There's that, the Bible has got lots of women in it, but no one's talking about them. Um, <laughs> And you could you could have lots of sermons on these the things that women have done. They maybe don't have their names in quite the same way, but they are there constantly. They are creating spaces. They're negotiating the spaces that are given. But the amount of time I mean that I heard about women growing up in the church is very very few. And even now, as an adult in the church, the amount of times you hear about the women of the Bible is very very few. Um, yeah that how's that structured that's is that the lectionary is that you know because they're there the lectionary you're supposed to hear all the stories right over a three-year period or something like that so how how are we missing out what's what is the structure that prevents you from hearing those stories yeah and and, and it's maybe about the emphasis on those stories so if the bible is a collection of books written by men for different groups of men you know so the, the women become before you start with it, the women are like a, an adjunct, aren't they? And, and and you can get to, oh, here's a Mary and a Martha, and here's a Mary, and here's a Mary Magdalene, and whatever. Um, but but they're, they're almost written as bit part characters. Um, and, and then what happens is we we sort of downgrade them over the years anyway, because we've marginalised them. Um, but if you were to rewrite that stuff, you know, I don't know if you saw the film... Um, Mary Magdalene, I think it might have been called Mary Magdalene. Yeah, um, where they basically just eventually told the story as if, do you know what, she's essentially the first disciple. You know, she's the first one to recognise the worth of Jesus and to just follow him around. Uh, and maybe she formed the church uh, and then she got written out of history. Because <laughs> men didn't really want the story to read like that. You know, um, and it's a very good, worthy film, you know. Um, but I think that's so often a lot of women, isn't it? Just to be marginalised and they're brushed out and, and hope no one noticed and, and get back in your box sort of stuff, you know. I, I, I do sort of occasionally find myself coming back to and what's the point and what's our purpose and I think our purpose doesn't change and that's the thing that I think really helps me sometimes. You know, our, our purpose is still the same which is if we're the people of God and God's spirit is in us um, and what, you know, and the answer to the question is where is God in all this? Well, He's in us if he's in anywhere. If that's how how our faith belief works through, um, then if God is in us and we are somehow supposed to connect and bring God through us, um, 
we have to go somewhere where we can take God into that space. You know, and if God's promise is, you know, I'll always be with you, we will take him into some spaces he doesn't really want to be and he has no choice because he said he's coming anyway. But, but we probably need to find a way and a, you know, determination maybe or just the impetus to go into some spaces where traditionally we don't feel like we're allowed in or we just got out of the habit of going into or we just don't really want to get involved because it sounds messy and complicated and scary. Um, but actually that might just be the stuff of life. You know, but it's easier to get worked up about are we singing hymns or choruses or, you know, should we have a bit of a free time of worship, you know, or maybe can we skip the, you know, can we sing the confession or something? You know, we, we, we get really vexed about all those things. I don't think they're important, but they become like substitutions for not having to get vexed about the things that we should really care about. Um, and if we really cared about some of these things, we would do something about it. Um, I remember Tony Campola saying at one point um, a version of, you know, there are plenty of people in the world who live on less than a dollar a day. And let's be honest, you don't give a shit. And in fact, you're probably more upset about the fact I've just said shit in church than there's endless billions of people living on less than a dollar a day. And, and, and there's a deep truth in there, which is we don't necessarily get our perspectives right. Um, but our hearts are good and God's in us um, and it can't abide to be allegedly um, where it's not good. Um, so therefore there must be something in our heart that's good. Um, and if God's in us and he's for us, which I believe he is, um, and he can work through us, which I believe he can, we just need to trust him more and maybe get into some of the spaces that we talk ourselves out of getting into. Um, and the future of the church is like the past of the church and the present of the church. It's about people doing the stuff of God, whatever that is, whenever that's needed to do. But it's easy to say that, Emily, isn't it? Doing it is much harder. I mean, I, I was thinking about this in a different context, which is, um, you know, as Christians, we might wonder what our purpose is at the moment in this sort of lockdown. Because, um, you know, not all of us will be key workers on the front line. Personally, I'm not going to be much good to you if, if I need to make PPE, you know, um, or discover a vaccine or something. Um, and I can do my neighbourly bit. Um, but I see lots of people doing their neighbourly bit. You don't have to be a Christian to be a good neighbour. You know, um, I, I see great things being done by people in our community. Christians don't have a monopoly on kindness. Um, so, so, you know, if we think about what's our purpose, what is it that Christians can offer? I, I believe it's hope. I believe it's... Uh, hope of hallelujah christ is risen you know um, i think that's the one thing that we you know have uh, hopefully that might be of value but how we deliver that hope or how we allow that hope to manifest that's a big challenge you know but I'm well, sure that's the key somehow <laughs> well uh, we'll leave it with that challenge and, and uh, see see what people pick up from it i think um, thank you, thank you very much, Ian, for exploring exploring some ideas this afternoon. Uh, this podcast was produced and presented by me, Emily McGrath. The music was created by Scott Holmes, accessed through the free music archive. Thank you to our interviewee, Ian Edgerson. You can find us on Twitter at Resonate Bristol and Facebook at Resonate. Thank you for listening, and join us again next time.